Blog Talk Radio. I was expecting the jingle, so I'm going to I'm going to go forward. Um, welcome to School Struggles. My name is Dr. Richard Selznick, and I welcome you to School Struggles. I am proud to be a part of the Coffee Clutch team. On School Struggles, we talk about a range of topics, including learning disabilities, dyslexia, special education, ADHD, and a whole host of other interesting topics that affect your child. I am a psychologist and the director of the Cooper Learning Center, which is part of the Department of Pediatrics at Cooper University Healthcare, and I'm lo- we're located in Voorhees, New Jersey, which is outside of the Philadelphia area. I'm the author of three books. The most recently published is Dyslexia Screening, Essential Concepts for Schools and Parents, and the other two are The Shutdown Learner and School Struggles. Um, you can find these on my website, shutdownlearner.com, and I also welcome you to visit the coffeeclutch.com. So I am excited to have repeat guests on. They were wonderful the first time. I'm sure they'll be wonderful tonight. Um, I have Tracy Block Zaretsky and Kelly Sandman Hurley. Uh, both they're the co-directors of the Dyslexia Training Institute which is at www.dyslexiatraininginstitute.org. It's a great website, and they're they're very knowledgeable practitioners. Um, And tonight's theme is, um, the title of tonight is called, There is No Such Thing as a Sight Word. So I'm intrigued. Uh, Tracy, do you want to give us, or either one of you, Kelly, Tracy, who wants to tell us why there's no such thing as a sight word? Sure. Well, many curriculums out there have sight words, and sight word is used a couple different ways. One, sight word can be used as um, also known sometimes as high-frequency words or words right. that you're, you can read just by looking at, like you already know what they are. You don't have to you know, slow do you, down to figure them out. But Do you mind if I stop you for a second? I, I, I don't want to interrupt sure. but I, because I, when I start to hear anything that's like, okay, the, somebody out there might not understand even that term, high-frequency word. What does that mean, a high-frequency word? What, what, what do you mean by that? So high-frequency words are words that are going to appear quite frequently in text. So there's high-frequency words by grade level, but there's also like the fry list and the dolch list that you can um, you know, you can get those lists off the Internet if you just put fry high-frequency list or dolch high-frequency list. You'll get those, like, 600 most frequently used words in the English language. Okay. Or 1,000 okay. words most frequently used in the English language. And so some people will call those sight words. Some curriculums call um, words that you know, that they, that a child already knows by, by sight, like they don't have to slow down to decode them as sight words. But when we used it, we meant there's no there's other curriculums that call sight words words that don't fit particular patterns, so you just have to memorize them. There's no rules for why that word's spelled that way. So you just need to memorize them. When in reality, there really aren't sight words like that because if you used um if you look at the et- morphology and etymology of words, you can explain why every letter is in a word. All right, so let's how about if we um Define for me a couple of – give me a couple of – if you could give me a couple of examples of words sure. that effectively Would don't like play to, by the rules. 
Okay. Some do. So, like a word like like to me is a sight word that plays by the rules. Um, correct. You know, sure. so so there are some that do. Cat is a sight word that plays by the rules. What are some that sure. don't play by the rules? Well, a lot of people would use the number the number the spelling of the number two, T W O. They would say right. that's a, a sight word because there there appears to be this crazy W in T W O that you don't pronounce, so you know, it's just a crazy word. So you just have to memorize that. Where if you study the etymology, which means the history of the word, if you look at the history of the word and where that word came from and why it's spelled that way, you'll learn that that W is an etymological marker, meaning that there's a historical reason why that, that W is there. And that's to tie it to other words that have the same um, meaning base, meaning it's tied to the number two, the meaning of two, like twin, twice, 12, 20, between, twilight, um, twist. There's many words that are tied to that meaning of the number two that have that TW, and in all of those words, you actually pronounce, you, there's that W is a um, representation of that phoneme uh, of W, which is, and um, so the, that TWO that has a logical reason for it being spelled TWO. So that's re- that's really interesting. It almost sounds mystical, you know, like oh wow, <laughs> what a what an understanding of this. So so all of <laughs> exactly. all of it provides the, understanding. Yeah. So so uh, so effectively, I mean, I'm not sure if this would hold up, you know, but you certainly threw out a number of words that are are playing by new rules. It strikes me. Um, that's not correct. actually not new rules. They're old. They're old, old rules. New <laughs> old rules. New new rules for us, <laughs> that, but old rules. But so what you're yeah. saying is that they basically are that these words have underneath all of the TW words have a bond, right? I'm translating. You're not saying these are not your words, but these are what I'm translating. They have a bond. They have a commonality, and their commonality is the fact that the TW is referring to a two to the number two. Yes, they have a they have a shared meaning, commonality and meaning. Right, exactly. Shared meaning, the commonality of a shared meaning. So when you look at all mm-hmm. of those words like twin or twice or you know, whatever, I don't know, two, that, that that there is a commonality of the word two. Now, how does that help a child? And how would that help you if you're having trouble recognizing the word two? How does that help you to know that concept as a kid? I'm not saying right now. Sure. Do you want to go tell? Go ahead. Well, actually, I was just going to say because when a child, we when we trust their intellect and we do this, and my son's teacher has actually done this in his kindergarten class, and now they all mm-hmm. know too automatically because they understand it. So when okay. we trust their intellect and we give them a reason for something instead of just saying, "Oh, it's crazy," you're just going to have to memorize it. Well, that's actually not even true. So if we give them the truth and tell them that there is meaning, when they see it, they'll remember because there's a story behind it. So Gina Cook, who's really, really good at this, and she's the one who taught us a lot of this, she says every word, we all know that words are made of, stories are made of words, but every word has a story. So when we teach a child the story of a word, they'll always remember it. I mean, it's it's never failed since we've done this with kids. That's so interesting. So you say... Yeah, it's yeah. so interesting. I just want to comment. Every word, ha- I was appunctuating what you just said, and that's yeah. Kelly that just spoke, right? Yes. Yes. Kelly, you're, so you're saying every word has a story. That's so interesting. Can you just elaborate a little bit on that? It's such a great concept. 
Um, well, like like two, it's it, there's a story behind two. So we want to know why that W is there. So we go and we look up its etymology, and then we realize it's related to all these other words. And then we realize that, well, I need, you know, we should back up a second because we actually um, need to understand something before we can talk about that. And that is there's a misconception that our written language is supposed to be a represent, it's supposed to be our speech written down. Right. And that's not the case at all. Our written language is is there to um, convey meaning, and so our words are meaning based. They're not. It's me. It's etymology, morphology first, etymology, and then and then pronunciation. All right. So, so translate morphology we, first means what? Morphology first okay. means translate that for us. Okay. So morphology. So what are the meaningful parts of the word? Okay, so, so meaning first, like yeah. Retake. The, morpho- the morphemes are R-E and T-A-K-E. Okay. And you you don't even know how to pronounce that word until you are able to identify the morpheme. So you identify okay. the morpheme, and then if, you, if you're if you trying to figure out what it means, then you look in the etymology, if you want to figure out why it's spelled that way. I gave you that retake is a really easy one, but if, if say, if it was um, the word talk, talking, the morphemes would be T-A-L-K plus I-N-G. If you want to know why that L is there, so you have the morphemes, then if you want to know why that L is there, you would go and look at the etymology, which is the history of the word. So that's the story of the word. How did that L get there? Did it get there through Old English? Did it get there through Old French? Did it get there through Latin, through Greek? Did it get there through a combination of them all? Did we just borrow the word from another language? So that, that's the story of the word. That gets back okay. to your original question. But I think before right. we even talk about all this, we need to really, really, really have a solid understanding that that our writing system is not supposed to be sounded out. It's supposed to be understood, and then once we understood what the word means, then we can pronounce it. How did, how did any I, of us, you know, the, the 60% should, to 70% who just kind of internalized, you know, the, the phrase internalizing the code, how did any of us by first, second grade kind of take off? I don't remember knowing any of this stuff. How, how did we do it? How did that happen? Um, I would say that um, I don't remember any of this either. I don't have any reading issues or spelling issues. I was actually a really good speller. Um, Mm -hmm. But for some of us, we just can pick up the patterns, and we understand we don't need to understand all of this. But if you're struggling, and, you know, if you put this in scientific terms, um, now we're saying it's one in five. Dyslexia is one in five. So if that's 20% of the population, and if we're taking this scientifically, linguistics is a science, then if 20% of the people don't pick it up, like you like you were just saying that we all picked it up, but 20% of the kids aren't picking it up, and let's just be conservative and say it's 15% of the kids aren't okay. picking it up, then it doesn't work. So what we're doing may work for 85%, but if it's not working for the other 15%, we can't just throw it out and say, well, there's something wrong with them. It's really something wrong with how we're how we're teaching the language. Well, and honestly, there's more people that struggle, even if they don't um, um, struggle with dyslexia per se. Lots of people will say they're bad spellers, and right, and or say they don't understand why words are spelled the way they are. Where if we taught the structure of the language and why words are spelled the way they're, they're spelled, it would address everybody's issue. Even I mean, because most people aren't natural good spellers. You guys are lucky, <laughs> and so um, this. But by teaching this way doesn't address just people with dyslexia. It helps 
everybody understand the language. Yeah, but Trace, I can't add or I can't add or I can't add or subtract, so I'm not that lucky. So you know. <laughs> Accommodation, calculating. Yeah, yeah. Well, what what about what about the classic? Walk me through this one because this is one I know you guys see this all the time as well. Before you saw the light here. Uh, um, uh, what you know the, the WH words where what when they are killers for kids and I find the dyslexic style let's call them that dyslexic style kids having a great deal of difficulty with them and then by extension I'm going to ask you about some words like like the and well, how would you so start with the WH words how would you handle those those are all question words. And so instead of using just a W when it's a question word, like what, where, why, when, those are yeah. all question words. Those are WH words. I'm and not putting you on the like spot whale, here, but you, I'm, not, I'm not putting you on the spot here if you don't have the answer. Yeah. I, I just want to, I'm just, it's more curious. What, what is the story behind those words? Do you have any idea about that? Well, a lot of them used to be HW, and then they, and then over the course of time, they became WH. Oh, that's, that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the story. Yeah, I'm that's just kidding. Go ahead. I'm and, teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> don't take me too seriously. I'm just teasing. Go I ahead. don't. And then the other sure. thing is if you look at where, here, and there, it's no accident that they're all um, words about space and location, and they all have H-E-R-E in them. So W-H-E-R-E, T-H-E-R-E, and H-E-R-E. That's not an accident. So that's another reason for, like, W-H-E-R-E. It, it has to be there because it's a different meaning, but it's still about a location. So when you know the meaning, when you, when you know some, I don't mean, yeah, they know the meaning or you know the story here, and I'm coming, now, now I'm a little kid, I'm a seven-year-old kid I'm, or, and a, or an eight-year-old kid, and I'm reading my little story, and, I find, and, I'm, and I sense, I'm sensing I'm coming upon one of these W-H words. Uh-oh, here it comes. Now what do I do? Do I start to sort of say, Okay, I remember there's a story here. Like, what it seems like it potentially has interference. Like, it, that it's a lot more work coming upon that coming upon that word. Well, you just have to but, change the way that they're thinking about it. Instead of what, what we've done is we've taught them to think, what's that first sound? What's the sound? Instead, okay. their first question is going to be, what does that mean? Okay. And now I know that what, what's the purpose of that word. Then it'll be like what Tracy said. Oh, that's a question word. So I know the purpose of that word is to ask a question, so it probably has a W. Okay. A d- a w- so you're saying as a, kid, yeah. as a child is reading, um, I'm going to throw out another, um, oh, so there's a, it, it strikes me as I have a little bit of metacognition going on, where, where the, and meaning that the kid is kind of thinking to himself a little bit, okay, remember we talked about these words and they have some meaning, and, and it's, it reminds me that there are some questions being asked here. Is that kind of the process you're you think we're going right. on a kid's head? Yeah, instead of them thinking what sound does it make, they're thinking about what does it mean first, and then they'll be able to, to read it or spell it. And you've done some what we call structured word inquiry with with the child with this. It isn't like we just tell them that one day and then they're going to remember, you know, we expect them no. to remember it forever. But also I'm going to go back to what Kelly said really much earlier. We need to trust children's intellect. We teach them about these huge names about dinosaurs and they can look at, you know, in kindergarten, they're looking at these books of dinosaurs and telling us all these names of all these dinosaurs, which personally I can't even remember. Because <laughs> I yeah. can learn them in kindergarten and they're remembering these huge names of dinosaurs. So if they can remember 
these things, we have to trust their intellect that they can remember the the logic of their language. They're dealing with language every day, and if we teach them the logic behind the language, that is going to help them a great deal. It, it reminds me a little bit of an old-school method, which I wish they would bring back somewhat and popularize it, dust it off the shelf, the language experience approach. Do you guys remember that? I remember that from adult literacy. <laughs> Yes. You know, basically the child would be dictating the story about the dinosaur yes. to you, and then from that mm-hmm. point, you know, the brontosaurus, blah, 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 and you're taking his mm-hmm. words and using those words as the way of, as the vehicle for, you know, practicing and breaking them up and doing whatever you're going to be doing, you know, different activities, you mm-hmm. know. But it reminds me a little bit of that, you know. Perhaps if we gave you another example, it would help a little bit with um, understanding where we're what what this structure is like when you use like a structured word inquiry approach where you're studying the um, morphology and etymology. Okay, of yeah, walk language. us through. We, That'd be great. Yeah. So, what if if we use the word every? And most kids, especially kids with dyslexia, are going to spell it E V R Y, correct? Yep. Because that, or that's some very yeah, that something word, like that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. When we say that word, we pronounce it like a two-syllable word, but the written representation, if you use a syllable approach, would be a three-syllable word. Mm-hmm. But we, we pronounce it, when we say it, as a two-syllable word. So most kids are going to write that as E-V-R-Y, especially kids with dyslexia. And, um, in fact, one of my kids I was working with last night just did it again, and I kind of giggled. I'm like, because he knows, you know, the history of this word. And I said, what is the base of that word? And he goes, oh, shoot, that's right, it's ever. Because the base of every is really ever plus the suffix y. And as soon as I said, what is your base? He went, oh, I know what that word is. It's E-V-E-R-Y. And um, E-V-E, I'm sorry, E-V-E-R-Y. And he goes, but when he first spelled it, and then he goes, oh. I, I like he goes. I don't know why I did that because I actually know that one really well. And because um, sometimes they still flip back into their stuff. But as soon as I said, "What's what's your base in that word?" He goes, "Oh, that's right. It's ever plus y." They, he they remember it. But we don't have to say every to get them to spell it right. Instead, we just tell them what the base is because you know we we get them to speak funny. You know, like family. We'll dictate the word to them and we'll say, and I'm guilty of this before I learned all of this. I would say, okay, now we're going to spell family. <laughs> but that's not how we speak. So instead, if we talk about what the base of family is, and that I is there, so it could be connected to words like familiar, and all of a sudden you do hear that I, then, they, then they're able to spell it. So, so the word like every, would, would a word like, I'm just throwing this one out, evening cause some confusion or you, or that's a totally, the EVE is a totally different story, so to speak. I think that's Correct. a different story. I'm going to guess it's yeah. EVE. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. Eve, yeah. Because the N-I-N-G is your, is your add-on, right? Well, we have to I look know. at the N. You have, I, I, doubt, I doubt that N-I-N-G is a suffix. So we'd have yeah. to figure out why that N is there. So we'd have to do an investigation. We'd go to Adam online it, and we do an investigation. But it might be, it might be E-V-E plus E-M plus I-N-G. That's yeah, you're triggering a good yeah. question in my mind. So is there a website that you can it's, quickly is, kind of yes, go to to look I, up the stories of these words? Yeah, I actually, um, I'm on there and I'm looking at it. The base um, is E-V-E. So I'm guessing it's E-V-E plus E-M plus I-N-G to get to the word. And it's, can, can you tell the audience what the website is? Sure. It's Etym Online, so it's E-T-Y-M-O-N-L-I-N-E dot com. 
etymology. So you, it's a simple little, you just put the word in, it gives you quickly the story behind it, huh? Yep. Yes. But so if you, so I'm speaking that... to the audience. So for you linguists out there, you linguist detectives, this sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> it you're is a linguistic lot of fun. detective. You... If you're a linguistic detective, yes. you know, go and mm-hmm. have fun. Yeah. What about I mean, what about the words? Now, what about with Orton Gillingham? You know, they move into CVC <laughs> patterns and CCVC consonant vowel consonant. Now, is this going counter to that approach? It. It, well, okay, so here's, that's what you know. It's not going to... counter to the approach. The problem is, the, the problem is, is that English is not a syllable-timed language. English is a morphological language. So when we're teaching syllables, oftentimes the syllable types are masking the morphological boundaries. And that means that it's masking the actual meaning of the word and so, mm-hmm. like a word like sparkle, okay. um, OG would have it separated as S P A R plus K L E, and really it's spark plus L E. So we're we're missing the meaning part, and we're kind of messing with that. And then words that don't fit in are just called yeah. exceptions. There's way too many exceptions for that to be correct. There can't be that many exceptions, and there aren't because linguistics is a science, and there aren't exceptions in science. Hmm. Hmm, that sounds like a heavy statement that I would have to like sit there, there and reflect on for about 10 minutes. <laughs> but I don't want to sit here in silence yeah. for 10 minutes because I don't think it's a good way to do this kind of interview, so I better not sit there in silence. Yeah. It's something to think about. I mean, it's yeah. really, when Tracy and I first started this stuff, we were super skeptical at the beginning. All right, so um, how would you handle – okay, so okay, back to meat and potatoes land. How would you handle, you know, your garden variety – Eight-year-old kid, third, second, third grader who's struggling with reading. He's, you know, he needs what I would call. You guys have always called, I believe, direct instruction. Um, mm-hmm. What would you do with him now? We do structured word and creative. I've, I work with kids. My youngest kid that I started doing this with was, uh, well, technically when I started doing this with him, he was in first grade. But I had started working with him in kindergarten, um, and started with more of an OG type approach, but switched over mm-hmm. to the structured word inquiry. And he was in first grade and really struggling um, when I started with him at the end of kindergarten. So I hadn't been with him long. And um, my other kids are in, you know, all the way up through high um, middle school. And I do all with all of them. And so what? to give you yeah, an example, it can really, because he has, an, they have, um, they often have great vocabularies, but they struggle with the written words. So one of the words I did with him was S-I-G-N. And it's a, you know, um, I'm going to just spell it as S-I-G-N instead of saying it is a free base, meaning that by itself it can be pronounced as a word. It, some, some bases are free bases and some are bound bases, meaning they need another element, word element, uh, to be able to make it into a word. Um, but S-I-G-N is a free base. So we can pronounce it as, as fine. But if we start adding um, suffixes to it like A-L, it becomes signal. Or if I add A-T-E plus U-R-E, it becomes signature. And these are all related by meaning. So, so what I did was show him this base, and then we started at, we made a matrix which shows um, adding prefixes and suffixes on, and you write word sums like S-I-G-N plus A-L can be rewritten as S-I-G-N-A-L, which we pronounce as signal. And so we did a bunch of words. So he actually wasn't learning, learning just fine. He were signal, signature, significant, um, a, a whole list of words that we were able to 
to do because he learned that base and how to add prefixes and suffixes to it. Sounds, uh, <laughs> you know, I've always, sounds fascinating. I've always been a bit of a pushback bristler, bristling with the term balanced literacy, right? I never, I never really thought of myself particularly balanced <laughs> in that way. <laughs> so what, what, why wouldn't you... I mean, this sounds very interesting. I think that, you know, getting kids sort of stimulated to be, you know, lingu little linguistic scholars can be very exciting, especially for these kids who don't tend to interact with text all that much. Why wouldn't you, in effect, you know, mix in the traditional, you know, tapping of sounds and doing all that stuff um, oh, along with some of this kind of inquiry? We do we do we do integrate the phonology part. along mm -hmm. with but you for, you first look at the um the morphology of the word with okay. the then the etymology and finally the phonology which is where you learn about you look at those patterns correct if you have a vowel followed by a consonant um in a in a base most likely that vowel is going to be a short sound so they, you teach them how those um those uh, phones are represented, those phonemes are represented with graphemes. So phonemes are the, the individual sounds that, we, that represent our graphemes. But we also have to teach them all the different options for those phonemes. So, for example, with um, the phoneme, there's multiple representations. There's F, there's double F, there's TH, there's UGH. And you have to teach them all of those in a very structured way as well. So it, this is, and it's very multisensory and it's very, um, explicit, so it it does address all of those same types of concepts. Yeah, phonology is still very much part of it. It's just the third part. So you, you do mm -hmm. address morphology, then onomology, and then phonology. It's all there. But we and we don't say you know that we don't say a says ah because letters don't talk and you know as only one sound that a could represent. So you know we just kind of do it that way. Like instead of having letter charts in classrooms, they should really have phoneme charts. This is kind of the other way around. So it's still there. Now, this, uh, we're getting closer. We're going to go past the half hour mark. We had talked about doing a little bit of uh, half hour, so we're going to go a little bit past half hour. You had talked about um, this. Is the term structured word inquiry? This, you know, is that a is that a method? Is that a a pri Is that a, a a kit? I mean, what does that exist anywhere? Is this how would what how is this defined? I mean, I know what you said, but is this a program? Tell me more about structured word inquiry. I would say that it's a, not a program. You're not going to find a kit anywhere. Okay. Um, what this is, it's a group of people who choose to teach people who are interested how the language is really represented and how to find out okay. why we're just called the way it is. And then those people can choose how they use it with their students. So we've trained the teachers and other people across the country, like Pete Bowers, Gina Cook, you can go to Real Spelling. They're all doing this. And, um, but we don't, we didn't, there's nothing created. We have a course that we will, you know, that we, where we teach people how to do okay. it, but we don't give them, there's no roadmap. We don't tell them what to do. There's no, it's just there's no you have the curriculum. knowledge and now you figure out what to do with it because this is student-driven. The students should bring in the words um, and it should be an investigation. Does that make sense? To me? Okay, so you can add to that. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. I just would say there's no package, there's no package curriculum, which is, Right. kills a lot of people. They want a package of curriculum. Yeah, like no, I understand. You do, I understand. You do lesson one, you do lesson two, you do lesson three. 
Yeah, it's not approach. theoretical. It's, it's not theoretical. It's linguistics. It's <laughs> yes. science. But it's just it's the the purpose of it is not is is because there isn't you can't take the language and then put it into and put it into a scope and sequence. Right. Yeah. You know well, what and I mean? if we had to say say anything, I guess it, it is conceptually an approach to teaching, but it's not okay. a packaged curriculum. Yeah, I, I think I get it. <laughs> I agree too. I mean, I think I, I think it's very exciting. I think that um, what I'm hearing sounds, you know, very interesting in terms of of exploring uh, the the history and the story behind these words. And I think you know, using that, I go back to the first one you gave me, or the uh, talk to the group about here. Uh, there were two. I mean, that is very interesting. That you know, I hadn't thought about that. That every TW word, you know, has its root or story as Two double, you know, and it's, that is very interesting. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I haven't checked that. It, literally, every TW word is related to right. two because most, yeah. um, I honestly haven't checked that. It's a good question, but the ones that, there are words that um, the ones that we gave, like twin, twice, twelve, yeah. twenty, they between, all have that. twist. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you would. That's why you study. You know, you look at the the history of the word and you you determine if they're related by meaning. For a really good short tutorial, anybody can go to TED-Ed and then type in Gina Cook and TED-Ed, and she's got three videos on there that are four minutes, and they, they describe this really well and with really good visuals. All right, so TED-Ed, TED-Ed, is that a, I know it's TED yeah, Talks, right? TED-Ed yeah. Ed, um, Ted, Ted and Ed Gina Cook. Right, why don't you give us a wrap-up, a couple of points to kind of pull it all together, and then we'll sort of say our goodbyes. Give, you know, you guys have done a great job explaining this. Um, it sounds very interesting. But, you know, pull it together for us, just as kind of a summary <laughs> bulleted point or something, you know? Oh, uh, um, Tracy. <laughs> that's, a tough, that's a tough order. Um, well, no, I mean, I, I mean, say, basically you're saying that we're talking, I'm hearing you're, t- you're teaching backwards, you think. I mean, that's something yeah. you've thrown, you said. Yeah. Okay, so give us I a couple of these basic points. That you, go ahead. I would say instead of starting with sound, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, Kelly, um, one of the things Kelly always says that I really like is that, and we hear it over and over actually with the, in, in this group of people that say it is, if you know how to spell a word, you know how to read it. So why are we teaching it the other way around? Because they already know the meaning of words. We, We don't ask kids to read words they don't know the meaning of. So why don't we have them spell these words first since they already know the meaning and work from the meaning of the word, and then they know how to read them. Okay. All right, that's, an int- that's a good point. Couple, give me a couple more, and then I'm going to say we're going to get on the road. <laughs> um, I would just say um, instead of starting with sound, we need to start with meaning. Um, so having students, quote, unquote, sound mm-hmm. out words isn't really efficient until we understand how the word is built. Even the word I want to ask you one question about that. Do you, do you get pushback from kids on this at all? Do you have you gotten kid resistance on that? You know, I don't want to. I don't want to look it up. I don't feel like. I don't want to do. Do you get any of that from kids? Actually, I'm going to say I have a six-year-old, and all he ever does is ask me why there's letters and words. He loves it. And okay. You know, sometimes we'll be in the car, and he'll say, "Why is there an N in autumn?" I'm like, you know, I don't. Yeah, know. but That's he's really gifted, though. He's really gifted. I, you know that. <laughs> well, so I don't I'll, know that. I'll bring sure. it back. I'll bring it back to my kid. I'll bring it back to my kindergartner that well, he's not in kindergarten anymore, but that I was working with. His mom actually emailed me. She goes, um, "Riley wants to know why um, 
there's a K at the beginning, a KN at the beginning of knife. And she said, I told him, I don't know, but I'm sure Miss Tracy can help you figure that out. And he okay. goes, I'm sure she can too. He goes, I'm sure we'll look it up. It'll be fine. And she said, I yep. love that you're turning him into a little linguist. And That's this is great. A kid that's that's very exciting. So what is the answer? Yeah. Uh, Do we um, know? Well, historically, that K was actually pronounced. And uh, so, so they used to be like, no, knife. And go ahead, Kel. No, go ahead. Um, it, well, that's all I was going to yeah. say about it at this, this they, moment. They used to say cano, knife, and mm-hmm. knight. And now, mm-hmm. now KN actually should be taught as a grapping for N. So mm-hmm. that's that's the story behind that. It's old English. Well, there's a little more to it, but we don't have a lot of time. Oh. But um, yeah, it comes from old English exactly. And so um, the and my own son, who does struggle, loves finding the um, out the history of these words because it does make more sense. It makes more sense to him. Like, one of my students, his mom was trying to help him with his spelling list. He goes, you know what? Can I just bring you some Miss Tracy, because it makes sense when she when we look them up and and she explains them to me. So I I argue that no, I, our our kids want to know why it is this way. Our brains are natural logic processors, so provide them the logic. Great stuff. Any other last minute points you want to make? Just to take the time to look at it, um, go through Adam Online. I do want to say that Adam Online is not going to give you answers about morphology. It's only designed to give people the story of the word. Okay. Um, so people shouldn't go there looking for answers about why they have to figure that other stuff out on their own. But just just go through and investigate. Look at the TED-Ed videos. Um, there's lots of videos on, online about structured word inquiry, and it's a lot more effective when you can see the matrix and you can see it right. in action than it is to hear us talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. but no, I, th- I actually really think you guys, think I, I, it's it. funny because I looked at the matrix that you sent me before and having talked it out with you, I understand it better than having looked at the matrix. So I appreciate yes. your explanations and I think that it did bring it to life for me and hopefully people listening to this talk. Um, it's a lot of uh, food for thought. Tell us a little bit about your own website, dyslexiatraininginstitute.org and, you know, just give it a, a couple bullets about what you guys do sure we so um at the dyslexia training institute we offer online courses to um educators private practitioners parents um teachers anybody that's interested in learning about what dyslexia is and how to effectively remediate it and we also provide um courses on advocacy um, we have four-week courses, we have two certificate programs, and we now have our structured word inquiry, which we're just kicking off um, next week that we're excited to be doing. It's, it's an eight-webinar series. And we also, in San Diego, have three centers where we provide direct mediation, so we practice what we preach. <laughs> there you go. Well, I invite you to visit www.dyslexiatraininginstitute.org. Great group um, and lots of enthusiasm and knowledge as you can tell uh, my website is the shut is shutdownlearner.com shutdownlearner.com so we've got to start teaching our shutdowns much more linguistic history, <laughs> our knowledge and understanding of, of the history of words and that, that'll help them along um, also I invite you to visit the coffee clutch that's you know three words in there, the coffee clutch. It would be interesting to know the, the meaning and the story behind the word clutch. I don't know. But the coffeeclutch.com. And um, thank you very much, guys, for being on again, and I hope we'll have you on again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. It Hope has you enjoyed. Been. Thanks, Richard. All right, take care, guys. Bye. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye.